Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Show. I'm your host, Jeremy Thake. The only show focused on Office 365 development, where I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 platform. For more information on Office 365 development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Okay, so I'm on link today with uh, Matthias in Ning, all the way over in. Um, where are you now, Matthias? Because you were in Sweden for a bit. Have you re- you've relocated in Europe, right? Uh, I'm uh, my company is still in Sweden actually, but I'm currently in Germany. I just got a baby, so uh, I had to be closer to the rest of the family at that oh. time. Congratulations! Well, thank you. So, so you're not getting too much sleep right now, then? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I guess it means that you can kind of code through the night as she's crying or he's crying and, and, and get some extra hours out of it. Yeah, in theory I could do that, but I think <laughs> that's everybody who has a kid knows that that's not true. <laughs> so at the beginning of these shows, we usually do a little bit of a, a catch-up on what's happened in the week before we find out a bit more about you and, and jump into the show. So just for the listeners, uh, there's been, it's actually been quite a busy week. Uh, our content publishing team based here in Redmond actually just shipped... A, uh, an Office 365 API starter project for the Windows 8 project within Visual Studio. Essentially, it's pretty cool because what it means is you can go to GitHub and pull this down and you'll be able to see how we're using all of the class libraries to call things like the Mail API and the Contacts API. And and what the team are going to be doing is building these starter projects out, not just for Windows 8, but also for things like ASP.NBC ASP.NET Web Forms, and, and they'll go over to the Cordova product project type and the Xamarin project type. And they're really meant to be for like reference uh, utilization. Matthias, have you done anything with the Office 365 APIs yet, or are, have uh, you been in other areas? Of course, I have tried out the Office 365 API and uh, checked all these things out. Uh, naturally, I want to be up to date um, with these things, but um, I haven't had the chance to actually run a product uh, project yet. Um, where we are entirely focused on Office 365. I'm too much focused on my own product at the moment. Yeah, yeah, okay. And yeah, and I mean, those APIs are still in preview, so um, yeah. but we, you know, we will be announcing shortly that they'll be general available, but um, that, that's, it's pretty powerful. They've gone through quite a few revisions too, where they've had feedback from the community and from from ISVs and enterprise devs on, you know, what, what we need to do to tweak the APIs to make them more user-friendly. So it's been a a cool process to see that happening from the inside for sure. And then um, another post, uh, we seem to mention Steve quite a bit. Steve Curran's been been very active on his blog for a long, long time now. And there was a question on the Office 365 technical networking and one of the developer Yammer groups there about um, using an API that you can use to share documents. So, So essentially to simulate how you would share a document in the user interface, but via the API. So that was a pretty cool little sample he put together and he referenced some documentation in MSDN, but then kind of extended the code sample further to see how that works. So that's definitely a cool post to, if you want to kind of do share type stuff within your own interfaces, within your own apps, that's, that's pretty cool. And then a guy that I just seem to reference every week in this podcast, uh, Richard Desariga, uh, he's done part two now of he's the awesome. office. <laughs> yeah, he is awesome. 
he he's done part two of his blog post on the office graph so last week we announced delve and we announced that there is a kind of interim api that you can use which delve actually uses when it's calling from its user interface uh, there will be a more official api coming that hooks into the office 365 api layer much like mail calendar contacts and files and sites uh, but for now there's this kind of interim api and, and rich has been building out those samples and um interestingly uh uh, Vardaman uh, Despandi, who's in the, in London, also kind of jumped on the, the train after seeing Rich's posts, and he's taken what Rich has done and extended it even further and blogged about that too. So there's quite a bit of noise right now in, in, in the week that that's launched and samples. So if you're interested in Office Graph and Delve, which there seems to be a lot of interest in, please go and check that out. And in actual fact, uh, Chris Johnson and Andrew Connell on the Microsoft Cloud Show this week just shipped a new podcast on Delve, so it'd be worth checking that out if you have time to listen to more than just our wonderful pod show this week. And then lastly, um, Elio Struth, who I believe is reasonably close to you, right, from a Europe perspective? Yeah. yeah where um, He's just posted on um, getting the context of when you have a mail app inside Outlook, whether you're inside a, uh, the Outlook web app or whether you're inside the rich client, because there's certain things that you might want to do depending on whether you're in OA or whether you're in Outlook Desktop. Um, so he's got some cool little code snippets there on, on that context switching. So some really cool things going on in the community. And I, I, you know, I keep encouraging guys to, to share what they've been learning, code snippets and samples and just their opinions. And I mean, in actual fact, there was one that I wrote this week based on what I presented at the SharePoint at Loser, which Mark Rackley and co. ran in Branson, Missouri, uh, the metropolitan that it is. Uh, I'm joking, it is probably the most um, smallly populated city I've been to in a while in America. But it was very cool. We had a great fun. There were some um, there were some good, great guys there and we got to catch up and listen to Rob Foster and his, um, his friends who were in a band play live at one of the events that we had. So, spectacular week. But I wrote a post on essentially the ton, top 10 tips to prepare you for the app model but if you're still currently sitting on on full trust code and so those tips kind of range from you know really making sure you've you're learning the app model even if maybe you're not going to it right now um but one of the tips there was about assessing your code which is a great segue and a reason that i've you know decided to bring matthias on the show now uh, is to talk about that and and so uh, Matthias, maybe just introduce yourself if people aren't aware who you are and um then we can kind of get get into the 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 skinny on, on on what you're doing out there that can help with this assessment of your full trust code. Sure, no problem. So uh, my name is Matthias Einig. I'm a Shepard MVP in Sweden, um, but you can probably hear from my accent that I'm originally from Germany. Um, I've been doing SharePoint development primarily since 2005. So I've been uh, I've started with SharePoint 23 and had my my fun with it and basically this is also how all my engagement in the community and also open source community started um, as some of you might recall SharePoint 23 development was not so much fun there was almost no support by Visual Studio I, I don't know uh, Jeremy I think you have started also quite early right yeah, I, I kind of jumped in in SharePoint 2003 days where you were, I mean, I write about that in that blog post, actually, you were hacking. There was yeah. no tooling there to extend SharePoint. It was only really in 2007 that you actually started yeah. to see yeah. some official ways. 
actually having a WSP as a package was a <laughs> revelation basically in 27. Um, so, um, yeah, at that time, of course, um, we uh, experienced, me and uh, some friends of mine, we experienced as consultants at our various clients um, the coding tooling gaps in Visual Studio and uh, also the gaps in ALM, so um, for SharePoint. So my focus was all the time primarily on development and uh, application lifecycle management, getting from the requirement at the start um, to the uh, running product on production. Um, so we, we started basically off with an open source project, which is still active, the SharePoint Software Factory. I don't know if you heard about that one. It was based on the guidance automation toolkit for Visual Studio, which allowed us to create very quickly wizards. Basically something similar like CKS Dev did, um, but with a, with a different uh, underlying framework. And um, yeah, was quite uh, successful, spsf.codeplex.com. Um, and yeah, that was the first step to actually get at that time our developer colleagues who uh, did not like SharePoint development that much on, on the road to develop for the SharePoint uh, environment. Um, but then we realized, okay, there, uh, the one thing is to help the developers, um, yeah, to generate the code or uh, uh, create their code in a standardized way. But on the other side, we also wanted to, to control um, or validate that everybody is following the practices and guidelines we have set up. And, and this is where initially for ourselves, a uh, tool came to place, which was called SPCOP. Right. And, and so with that software factory, what, what types of roles did you have in there that would help people? Yeah, so uh, the software factory was a bunch of wizards, basically, I would say 60, 70 wizards, which created features for you or uh, which asked you which type of feature you want, created a feature receiver, created different types of web parts, asked you for the parameters for your content type and created the, the declarative code for you, all that stuff, which helped to make all these things uh, available quicker and, uh, yeah. Uh, avoid the common mistakes which we had in in farm solution world um, with all this uh, XML, which we loved so much. Um, right, so it kind of put you on rails on how you were provisioning all your it, artifacts. Exactly, and uh, on top of that, one step further for us was we wanted to automate and standardize the deployment process of our WSP uh, WSPs. So um, we created first um, a bunch of MS build tasks, which helped with the whole deployment process. At uh, with SharePoint twenty seven, we still didn't have all that PowerShell support like we have now. So we uh, went the MS build way and used the API to deploy the WSPs. And later on, we migrated the whole concept to a bunch of PowerShell scripts, which is also open source at spsd.codeplex.com, um, helping you to uh, have a standardized, reproducible, and uh, yeah, documented way to deploy your farm solutions to a normal SharePoint farm does not have to do anything with um, apps at the, that time. Right. And then, so with, with that, I can see here, you've got like nearly nine and a half thousand downloads of the the solution factory and then about eight and a half of the solution deployer. So right. these were, you know, considered quite 
you know very popular uh, products i guess from the open source world when it came to sharepoint 2007 did did it cover other versions of sharepoint other than 2007 i mean yeah. if you're still yeah, no, it, it did. So all in all, I think the software factory had about 45,000 downloads um, in the different versions. Right. Um, so um, we we supported and still support SharePoint 27, 2010 and 2013 and Visual Studio 25. You can't imagine it. Uh, 28, 2010, 2012, 2013. So um, that's uh, quite a lot of things to support and um, takes a lot of time to maintain, of course. So, yeah, yeah, that's great. But yeah, we loved what we did and uh, still do, and it's quite quite fun also to to find out how to automate things in Visual Studio. Nowadays, I would do it differently, to be honest. Yeah, I think there's always that case of learning on the go, and yeah, of course. I'm guessing this inspired you guys that oh, okay, we can we're building. I mean, they're open source projects, but essentially they're products in their own right. Um, is this what inspired you to kind of move forward with the SharePoint code analysis or framework or SPK? Yeah, so um, as I said, we started with a command line tool, SPCOP, which um, was basically just for us to integrate in the local and in the team build on TFS to um, validate all the stuff which was generated, validate the XML, which is impossible with any other static code analysis tool at that right. time. So this was the start. We wanted to validate the XML that we... Um, don't have to find the, the bugs in the XML and the declarative code uh, after we have deployed it. Um, that's what was that was the initial um, yeah cause why we wanted to do that. And then it grew and grew over the time. It was a command line tool at the beginning. And um, then we thought, yeah, okay, but we also want to analyze the assemblies, of course. And we want to analyze JavaScript and more and more things. And then we had already this analysis engine with... Uh, a very flexible way of creating rules for it um, to extend. And we thought, yeah, okay, but only analyzing the quality of the code um, is uh, actually, it doesn't, doesn't cut it. There's all, there are also other things which are interesting, um, like uh, calculating metrics to see how your solutions or apps are changing during the course of the de development project, what is happening, what the developers are doing, which kind of artifacts they are creating. And uh, additionally, we wanted to see from an architectural point of view the dependencies between the different uh, artifacts in my SharePoint solution or app. So I wanted to see, for example, how the feature dependencies uh, are set up between multiple WSPs or content type inheritance and things like that. And lastly, we came up with um, kind of inventory because we've always had the problem from uh, when we delivered our WSPs um, at that time to the administrators who, uh, or the IT bros who managed the SharePoint farms, um, that they wanted a documentation. And uh, yeah, as you know, creating documentation is not so much fun, especially not for a developer. Um, so we thought, yeah, why not document everything, the whole code automatically in a standardized way? So that was the last part. Um, Focusing primarily at the beginning on uh, full trust code solutions, yeah. And then with the with the dawn of the new way developing for SharePoint for uh, both SharePoint 2013 and uh, SharePoint Online with the app model, we thought, yeah, okay, now we have all that information. We are all very skilled in the full trust code now, but um, somehow 
don't have any other choice than um, yeah, get accustomed to the app model and how to develop client side, use the uh, use CSOM, use the REST API, and so on. So we thought, okay, we have already gathered all that information uh, in one place. Why not use that information to provide actual guidance to how to migrate your existing full trust code to the app model and see if you're not that experienced in the app model, um, yeah, which ways might help help to solve a similar problem, or if there is no replacement for uh, what you have done in your full trust code, um, you get guidance um, how to rethink maybe the uh, solution entirely. And and where's that guidance? Is that stuff that you're writing, or is that kind of pointing off to various other bits and pieces? Um, both. Um, of course, we are writing that content, but um, we are uh, following, of course, all these guys you have mentioned already, the, the catch team, of course, um, uh, Vesar and uh, Richard Disarenga as well, and so on, all that guidance we are getting from them. We try to um, pull out the necessary bits and um, describe um, what we personally think um, might be an alternative way when going to the app model and of course we collaborate with you guys um, and look into also the office dev pmp project the samples which are provided there um, which help a lot um, to yeah give guidance and um, yeah see what is actually possible in order to replace concepts we got used to in the full trust world yeah, and and we had uh, Steve Walker and Vesa Uvenen on the show uh, a few few weeks ago. So if you haven't listened to that show, definitely worth a, a go because it does explain kind of why we've done the Office three six five developer patterns and practices project on GitHub. Um, and it's great to see that you guys are referencing those samples as part of this tool. I, I guess as what will be an example of something that maybe when you analyze a full trust code project, there is a blocker. Like what, what things are your tool highlight that maybe there isn't an, an obvious alternative to when you move to the app model? Yeah, there, like for example, a site definition is uh, of course a blocker because there's no such thing as a site definition in, in the app model. You cannot just migrate that uh, to a new type of artifact. So I have to find a different way and there are uh, examples to make customizations on a site, for example, in the in the PMP project. Um, or other things you might think of, for example, um, uh, a timer job, um, which you have in SharePoint and can run uh, jobs at a certain schedule to perform, perform tasks in in the app model, you have to find a different solution. You will not be able to run something like that on SharePoint, on the SharePoint platform, but you uh, will be able to do, achieve similar tasks, for example, with using uh, Azure. So um, this is a kind of guidance uh, we are giving. Um, okay, you have these kind of artifacts. Um, so there are possible alternative solutions what you could do uh, in the future when you want to migrate that to the app model. Right. And and so th there's different editions of this SharePoint Software Factory. There is a, a, a freemium, freemium version as well as a paid version, right? Yeah. The, so SPCAF is um, the SharePoint Code Analysis Framework. Uh, uh, it's a whole framework, as it says. So um, we have all these separate tools analyzing that stuff uh, are available separately. There's a free community edition also for the code quality analysis uh, available on the Visual Studio Gallery, uh, SPCOP Community Edition. 
and also the migration assessment which i was just talking about and we released that uh, less than a week ago um, there is a free version available also on the visual studio gallery um, which you can just download and where you can analyze one wsp from all angles you get the whole 360 degree view you get also the metrics you get the dependencies uh, you get also the inventory which tells you what's inside that solution and of course um, the mentioned roadblocks um, which tell you um, where you can proceed in the app model or where you're blocked and cannot move forward in an easy way and might need to rethink the entire thing so uh, so if you had a visual studio solution with multiple sharepoint projects in it that would generate you know multiple wsps you can only run the report on one wsp at a time is that on one project exactly. at a time so that's a limitation of course um so we we are selling the whole thing also as a product and and the the free version the migration assessment tool um gives you already all the results so the results are not limited in some way but um some features are missing like um analyzing a uh, multiple WSPs at the same time, for example, for seeing also the dependencies between the WSPs, which might be very interesting, especially in bigger projects. Um, and also, uh, you will uh, be limited. You cannot uh, access all the kind of reports we can generate. So we can not only generate an HTML report with all the details, we can also generate uh, Word reports uh, or a PDF for, or even export everything in an XML for post-processing um, in a different tool, for example. Or, um, For example, we have in, at, at one uh, previous client of mine, we used the XML in order to process the data um, which is generated in the team build um, through integration services in an analysis services cube and build automatic reports with reporting services. Um, which is pretty neat when you see your builds and you see the violations uh, changing over the nightly build, for example. Yeah, yeah. And, and get some constant tracking of all the changes in your project. Right. So you can see the trends over time of maybe you've introduced more blockers as you're building full trust code right now, even if you're in 2010 or 2013. Um, you can actually see that trend over time of how your code's tracking. Exactly. And the whole thing does not stop there, of course. So the migration is one part. The other thing is the actual tracking during development. And uh, with the recent release, um, we also uh, in invested a lot in the whole app model analysis. So we are also checking things there, especially uh, also in the JavaScript, um, good uh, best practices and also validating the JavaScript and so on. So this is also part of the, the premium part, the actual product. Right. And so in the freemium product, uh, with regards to only being able to analyze the one WSP at a time, can, can that, does that mean that you're not, you couldn't hook this up to a build server and use the product to kind of, as you're checking in, it's going to check in all those WSPs or? Exactly. So the free version does not allow that. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a standalone client. It's also not integrated in Visual Studio, which the premium version is. So you, right. in the premium version, you can um, generate all the information directly from your source code. In um, the free version, you need actually the you know, the compiled package, the WSP right. package, which drop in and get the reports. Right. So, so it's not quite as, from a productivity perspective, you could definitely do it, but it's, you know, if you've got a team of 
15 devs or something working on WSPs, it's going to be a, an additional manual step to then maybe take that WSP and drag it into the, the SPCAF premium product. Yeah, as it is with such things, of course, the main purpose of the free product is on the one thing um, to promote the product, and uh, but also we wanted to provide an, a real value in the free uh, freemium version. So uh, it, it should not be crippled uh, in in a, in a bad way that you think, okay, what should I do with that? Um, yeah. the, the main purpose was, okay, we wanted to give that out uh, to the people to, to try it out, to see what their solutions are about. And... Um, if you want more, if you are a bigger team, if you have bigger solutions, or if you do that regularly, you will see the the, the benefit of the whole uh, tool set and also the other tools which are uh, not part of uh, the migration assessment tool. Um, and hopefully consider to step up and look at the premium version. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, there's nothing stopping a team if they've got like an existing 40 WSPs, they could sit there and, and manually in uh, produce a report for each one i mean that would be a huge value to an organization right yeah no no there's nothing stopping them from that yeah yeah okay cool so for those out there maybe if you that will be a good start is if you've got a uh, an internet maybe and you've got some customizations and you want an idea about uh, what you can and can't do uh, with the app model based on your current customizations this is a great entry in there but i'd highly recommend uh, checking out if you go to the visual studio gallery link that i've put on the blog post um, you can see some awesome screenshots of what the integration is with Visual Studio with this tool. I mean, it's it's a very sophisticated, it's an extremely good looking UX. Who, who's built this for you? Are you oh. not, you're not the designer, right? No, I'm not a designer. I'm just a developer. <clears throat> but um, we have yeah. one guy in our team who is really skilled with all the design. And if you look at our webpage, we have also a lot of these little people uh, on our webpage uh, representing the different tools and also different roles in a SharePoint project. And that guy, he's so skilled, he can do all that stuff in yes. 3D modeling tools. So pretty pretty great to have him on board. <laughs> yeah, right. That definitely makes a, a, a good impression there in terms of like the look and feel of the reports that you get out as well. Yeah, one of the, we, we, as, as I said, we just relaunched um, with a new major release and um, replaced the, the client application, the standalone client entirely. And one of the main uh, reasons behind that, we wanted to make it as easy as possible um, for the user to get to the right results and wanted to guide the, the user um, basically through the analysis process. Um, and uh, I think that's reflected uh, pretty clear in, in the new client. Um, but still, if you if you want to uh, yeah customize the whole analysis, then you can switch to an advanced view and, for example, choose a different kind of rules rule set. You can um, even change the severities of the different rules. We have about six hundred quality rules alone, and um, you can say, for example, okay, this specific rule is maybe not relevant for my environment. Um, and the other rule is for me a critical error, so you can change that and share that rule set with your uh, other developers so they can um, see these things already while they are coding in Visual Studio and um, don't find that out in on the integration, for example, in the team build. That's cool. So it, like many of the other code analysis frameworks that are out there, uh, can customers, I mean, when you've done engagements with customers around this tool, can they build their own rules on top of the out-of-the-box ones? Exactly. Uh, the the tool itself has an SDK, and it's actually very easy to create a rule. If you're familiar, for example, creating rules for FXCOP, 
Um, the, the concept is the same. Of course, we didn't reinvent invent the wheel. So we have uh, the SDK, which provides a whole model of all artifacts which can be found in SharePoint solutions and apps. The whole XML in a SharePoint solution is browsable. You can move around, everything is interconnected and get all attributes in there. You can find every method invocation in the code. You can find every JavaScript call and also um, the, the control flow gra graph in there and build up your rules. And an ordinary rule is usually just a couple of lines, like five lines. And you just say what type of artifact you want to analyze and compile the rule, drop the assembly into the installation directory and SPCAP will pick it up automatically and use that rule in the next analysis. So is this tied just to SharePoint then, or could this be used in a standard project that you build rules around um, like any type of artifact within a, in a code page? Yeah. The analysis engine is basically independent of SharePoint. Um, right, right. We can analyze everything, which is .NET, HTML, ASPX, JavaScript, XML, whatever. Um, we could even make it uh, Java compatible if we wanted to. Not that we want, but um, uh, anyway, uh, the 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 main part is at the end then the rules. So you have to tell it um, what you want to analyze and um, what should be the result. And that's um, usually um, connected to having deep knowledge of the technology. Uh, and yeah, as we happen to have the knowledge of SharePoint over the last couple of years, that's why we chose to do that. And sure. in other areas, of course, there are already to, uh, static code analysis tools available. Right, right. Yeah. And, and from that perspective, when you're dealing with these customers where they're analyzing these things on, on your website, you kind of... You introduce the problem that it isn't just the developer that's kind of concerned whether his code's correct. There's there's other roles like the administrator and an architect and maybe even a quality manager that gets involved in kind of analyzing what's going on. What what type of kind of engagements do you see there? Like what kind of triggers people to want to use a tool like this? Is it's not just for migrating to the app model that just is it you know people assessing where the health of the farm in terms of their customizations like. What types of things do you hear from your customers around that? Um, yeah, so one of the things is uh, what we hear quite often um, that the customer we have usually, uh, many of our customers are pretty pretty big companies um, and their core competency is usually not SharePoint development. So um, they have uh, usually some suppliers, some consultancies who provide them with development services and the cl our clients at the end um, don't have much knowledge about SharePoint and what they're actually receiving from uh, from the consultants. So they use our tools to analyze uh, the code they are getting in order to raise questions and discuss that with their suppliers, why they chose this way or the other. And um, many of them also hire um, a third party, for example, to run the assessments on the code they get from the, the coding supplier. So um, it's basically... Uh, yeah, more a quality check in order to save the investment they did or have done already in uh, uh, in the customization on their platform in order to, uh, for example, make it easier to move to the cloud in the future if that's already on the on the strategy or to move easier to the next SharePoint on-premises version if that's uh, necessary. So um, this is certainly one of the scenarios uh, we see. 
Um, another scenario is um, from more from the IT Pro point of view. Um, the IT Pro is usually not a developer and um, usually gets uh, a piece of code from the development team and has no clue what it actually does and uh, to his farm or to his environment um, and has no other choice than trust what the developers are doing. And uh, by analyzing it and also by creating that documentation, that inventory of it, he sees what happens during the different iterations, the development iterations, and also has the ability to raise questions like, okay, why uh, do you uh, try to get uh, 100 times uh, elevated privileges, for example, in full trust code? Um, um, right. is, is that really necessary? And what are you achieving by that? And um, probably uh, an administrator is not so pleased that somebody's, uh, some code is trying to elevate the privileges on his platform. So um, this is certainly also one point of view. And from the architectural point of view, of course, it's um, the architect is not necessarily um, following the code in detail all the time, but he wants to see um, how everything is interconnected and also that it remains maintainable, like the development team might have fluctuation and he wants to enforce some, some practices or guidelines or structure in, in the code. Um, so. Uh, the tool helps him to see what is happening on a, a higher level view instead of diving into the code directly. Right, right, okay. So, and, and it, so it's really kind of valuable just, you know, for a lot of different areas of the business, you know, to get an understanding about that. I mean, it's something that when I do that talk around the, the top 10 tips is, you know, you can do this manually. Uh, we, we've worked with organizations where they have like a register of, all of the WSPs and yeah. who's worked on those WSPs and um, almost like marking this WSP has web parts in it, content types, maybe it has a workflow and yeah. it could have a custom delegate control in it. And over time you get a good picture of all of the customizations in your farm and, and, and how complex they are, which helps when you're assessing, not just from a move to the app model, but also, if you're like migrating from 2007 to 2010 or 2010 to 2013, where you want to reassess which WSPs you'll pull over into your next farm uh, and, and which things maybe you don't need anymore due to these customizations not being relevant anymore. Yeah, exa exactly. That was one one of the reasons why we uh, added that um, documentation part, that inventory part. And often, I, I guess you know that as well. I think you wrote that in your blog post as well, um, that... Um, suddenly you realize, okay, I have 150 WSPs on my farm and um, I have only the source code of half, half of them and I have no idea what's inside and what they actually do. So um, one of the advantages of how our tool is working compared, for example, to other um, code analysis, which is running directly on the source code, um, like ReSharper, for example, in Visual Studio, is that we take the WSP package with the compiled code in there and can uh, and decompile the code and can run our rules against that and also gather the information from that compiled package, even if you don't have the source code. So you can even document stuff which uh, you thought uh, the only information you had is lost forever. Wow, that's really neat. That's very cool. Yeah, we had a customer where we actually had to reverse engineer a ton of stuff to get it to... Uh 
to be able to pull back the source code and almost like rebuild it in Visual Studio from scratch because a developer hadn't checked in the source code and <laughs> it, it was on a laptop that he'd written the app like two years ago, built the WSP, emailed it to the admin, the admin deployed it, and then that laptop had already been swapped in for a new one and, and never backed up the content on the laptop. So yeah, it's really important for everybody out there that all of the WSPs that make it into any SharePoint environment or in source code so that at any point in time you can actually go back and recreate those WSPs from that source code and especially if you know the business users will change their mind you might build a business solution and then two months later they might, might make a decision or two years later they might make a decision to adjust it and if you haven't got the source code like you, you really are in a bad place and it seems such a standard thing to say but for whatever reason just the way things have worked in the SharePoint ecosystem is that that, that is quite a common thing I, you know, I, I still ask at conferences when I speak, you know, who can guarantee all of their, all their stuff's in source code and not everyone puts their hands up and mm. it, it does, it does worry me about this, this custom development story. I, I ask exactly the same question in my ALM talks and uh, it's getting, it seems like it's getting better. I think more, uh, most of the developers at least know what source control is and don't consider uh, zipping and uh, saving on a separate drive as uh, source control. Um, like it was like maybe five years ago in SharePoint world. Um, so that's a good development, but um, still, I totally agree. And it's valid for the whole app development, of course, as well. It's exactly the same thing there, even though maybe there is not that much compiled code in there anymore, depending how you develop your apps. Yeah, I actually scarily had a guy, oh, I forget, this wasn't that long ago, and he was using OneDrive as his source control. Nice. So he had all of all his Visual Studio projects in his OneDrive folder and syncing up to the cloud. And I was like, okay, that's pretty novel. And I showed him GitHub and I showed him TFS and he was or Visual Studio Online. And he was like, <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Like you have integration with Visual Studio. And I'm like, yeah, this is how like developers work in big teams. So there's still a little bit of education we need to do on these smaller shops where I guess the scenario is, is maybe they started off as a, as a SharePoint designer developer and they downloaded Visual Studio and started you know, using solution packages, but yeah. never really had that formal developer training. And I'm sure there's a lot of organizations in that spot. I, especially with Visual Studio Online, as it is uh, free for up to five users, um, there's actually no reason not to use it. And uh, you, don't, you don't have to set up anything. You can even have a, a hosted build controller where you can build your SharePoint projects without setting a build server with a SharePoint installation on it. So it's uh, really sign up and ready to go. So no reason to avoid it. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's actually, funny enough, Scott Hillier and Ted Patterson were just in Redmond Monday, Tuesday, um, so yesterday, and they were recording an ALM session, and I, that session's going to ship, that, that course is going to ship on Microsoft Virtual Academy in a, in about two weeks' time, I believe, so we'll definitely make some noise about that so that people are aware, but we go into a lot of detail there about how you can set up uh, TFS, Visual Studio Online, to do those automated builds of your uh, your app model stuff there and there's plenty of content on channel 9 around doing that with wsps as well for those that are, um, are still still in that world too and and for those who think that visual studio online is just tfs and hate tfs from a long time ago visual studio online now supports also git so you can use git as the source control there it's no difference to github <laughs> because i have this discussion a lot with uh, colleagues of mine and um yeah, Git is Git, even on Visual Studio Online. 
Yeah, well, yeah, and you, I mean, it's been interesting watching our guys like uh, Vesa Uvenen and, and Steve Walker and Frank Moresco and Bert Hansen and all those guys who are working on PMP stuff. Uh, kind of, they've been in that Visual Studio Online TFS world for so long, and we kind of did put a bit of pressure on them to switch to GitHub, where really it's where the open source community is. And yeah. it was it was funny seeing that transition process for them of working very comfortably in that TFS world and then switching over to using Git Git instead. Yeah, okay, but um, what what I meant is in Visual Studio, you also can just use Git, and um, the, oh, that's the, true. The, yeah, the, the, the shift the shift for a developer, especially one who's used to GitHub, for example, to use it for an internal po- project, Visual Studio Online with Git, is uh, there is no difference. You can still use the tools you're accustomed to. You can use PoshGit or whatever tool you want, source tree. And um, of course, for the Office PMP project or these things, you actually have an open source project. Um, Visual Studio Online is no use because you want to have as many people as possible to be involved. Um, so GitHub is the logical choice, and it's a good, good thing, of course. GitHub. Yeah, I, I must admit, I use Source Tree. Uh, I I use Atlassian Confluence a lot. I mean, the spdevwiki.com, which I used to run when I uh, was back being an MVP before we launched nothing but SharePoint.com on, on SharePoint. Uh, so I had kind of a background with it last year and they're an Australian company and when I saw they had like a, a Git repo helper app I was like oh I'm going to try this and actually I was super impressed like I know a lot of Git users love to come online but um, there is something about the UI being a lot quicker just to jump in and jump out of so I don't have to remember all those command line parameters just to pull a pull something down from, from a GitHub or from a Git repo wherever it's hosted uh, I have to say, like I, I started with uh, using Git as source control maybe one and a half years ago, and uh, at, and was a, a, a whole TFS guy the years before, and it was quite a shift for me to understand the whole thing. And um, the, started already with the with the difference from not just checking in but committing and pushing or syncing, right, and pulling. Right. Um, it didn't uh, really. I didn't really understand that at the, at the beginning, but um, it's so much easier to do it that way and that you have all the history locally that you can check out without having access to the central source control um, that you can branch locally don't have to share your branches or you can publish them later and stuff like that it's so much easier um, so uh, everybody who is still on uh, which will so safe or uh, old, old, <laughs> old school TFS source control should uh, certainly consider uh, trying out Git. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think um... I haven't seen Source Safe in a while, so I think we're good there. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear some confessions in the Yammer group if they are still using Source Safe, but it, it's uh, it, it definitely again. I keep hammering on about the kind of your personal career development for people who are listening, and you know, if you if you aren't learning these new tools, uh, you're definitely going to struggle if you go out there for a new role or you're looking to kind of move on within your own company you know you have to keep up to date with this technology it's just the nature of being in the dev space and um it's amazing how many people haven't kind of jumped on that bandwagon and um the the office 365 developer patterns and practices github repo is a great example of you know go and go and download it pull it down with source tree or pull it down with command line git commands and, and have a crack at it it's a good way of kind of pulling that down and having a look at the app model samples but also getting some experience with using those those github type tools as well yeah i I have to say when i look at that pnp project um it's quite impressive how many people are engaging in that project and contributing yeah uh, the the how quickly it evolves it's pretty pretty awesome i have to say 
and cool things inside. Um, so it was. I think it was definitely uh, definitely worth it to move it from from Codeplex to uh, GitHub, as Codeplex does not have this easy way of interacting without granting permissions and so on. Absolutely, yeah. We've seen a lot of forks. Um, I get a weekly email from Vesser. He gets very excited <laughs> when he sees how many forks and pull requests are coming through, and um, it's just testament to the work the work they've been doing. And we're we're doing a lot of work now to kind of promote because there's a lot of goodness there, but sometimes it's hard to actually discover some of that. So we're we're adding kind of videos in there, and mm. we have on uh, dev.office.com/slash/code-samples now. We have a code samples directory on on there where we're pointing out kind of some of those key samples, not just in the PMP stuff, but like Richard Desriga's Office Graph sample and, and, and bits and pieces like that. So, you know, we're trying our best to make sure that the stuff's discoverable for everyone out there who wants to work with 365. Yeah, really worth it and uh, to have a look there. I can really recommend that. Cool. Well, um, we're coming up to kind of the time where I'm saying, okay, we've got to end the show. I'm sure we could talk for a lot longer. So <laughs> I, I, I really appreciate your time and, um, and thank you for all the work you've done in, in adjusting kind of your business model to have that freemium model of SPCAF. It, it makes a big difference for, for our team and obviously for anyone that wants to use that, that they have the ability to you know, assess their code. Uh, with the freemium tool, but I'm I'm fairly confident that you're going to do well out of the premium version of the tool because of the additional things that it brings. So again, b- big thank you to you and your team for kind of adjusting that in the last few months. Yeah, also thank you to you guys. I think um, that collaboration with you guys really, really helps us to, to get that whole migration story out. Um, probably um, a, a better way couldn't happen for us. So I, I'm really happy about all that stuff. And I'm also hoping um, to build together with you and the community um, uh, additional rules, additional uh, migration guidance. Um, uh, Weza has already um, yeah, committed to that, that we are going to do that together. So I'm really happy about that in the future, which will be, of course, part of the free tool. Um, so it will be a benefit for all of us who have to make the shift with our old old solutions. Excellent. So um, will you be coming over to the MVP Summit in uh, November? Of course, I won't want to miss that. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it'd be good to catch up in person. It's going to be a, a pretty crazy week. It'll be the first time I'm actually uh, living here, here in Kirkland, just down a road from Bellevue where you'll all be staying. So it'd be nice to catch up with you guys. And I'll, I'll, I'll put on my old MVP hat for the week ah. and um, <laughs> we can catch up. <laughs> and you see, uh, look at it from the other side this time. That's also quite a different uh, yeah, experience, totally I guess. Different. Yeah, it's um, it's been a good, good, good journey of uh, transitioning from being on the community side to the internal side, and trying to make sure I kind of bridge that gap as best I can. Yeah, uh, gonna be great. I'm really looking forward to it. It's my first summit, so I'm um, gonna be really great out. Oh well, you, you've you've picked a good one. We've got some great stuff uh, with the engineering teams, so um, it's it's one of the best perks of um, being a, a SharePoint MVP and getting to speak directly with a team. So I'm I'm looking forward to the feedback you give the guys. Cool, excellent. Well, thanks very much, mate, and uh, enjoy uh, your life now as a, a Thaver <laughs> and having a baby, as well as kind of having a baby as a, a software product that you're building as well. Oh yeah, so the the real baby is already my second one, so it's not such a big change oh. anymore. But um, yeah, I have many babies um, to take care <laughs> of. So, but uh, thank you a lot for having me, and um, yeah, looking forward to meet you soon. Yeah, uh, great. Okay. 
Well, um, and, and for everyone listening, we'll we'll get another guy on the show next week. I, I'm not quite sure who we're going to get yet. I've got a few suggestions from for various different engineers and uh, MVPs out there. So it's just a matter of getting locking them down on times. But um, appreciate the show. We're getting some great traction. Um, the user base now is up to nearly 50,000 uh, unique listeners. So it's pretty exciting to see how quickly this show's grown on episode. Well, this will be episode 17. So thanks again for listening, and um, we'll speak to you next week. Thanks again for listening. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of your Office 365 developer needs. All the links from the show are in the blog post on blogs.office.com WACDEV, where you can find the latest news about Office 365. If you have any ideas for new shows or questions for us, please join us in our Yammer group in the Office 365 Technical Network. Have a great week, guys, and keep coding on Office 365.